Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This earnings season it has suddenly gone completely schizophrenic. Which is how you get a day like today where the Dow lost 129 points, S&P sank 0.53%, the NASDAQ nosedived 1%. For the first two weeks of earnings season, things were pretty straightforward. Sure, the business side of the economy might be, uh, let's say, slowing down, but the consumer was doing so great, backed by a strong job market, higher stock prices, and they were, got to tell you, offsetting any industrial weakness. This week, it's a totally different story. The market's no no longer on its meds. While two-thirds of our economy is consumer-oriented indeed, the other third has gotten so bad, so fast, that it's crying out for some kind of government intervention. That's what caused today's weakness, because the non-consumer economy is just plain worrisome. Later tonight, we're speaking to American Electric Power. You know, that's the largest power transmission company in the whole country. They just reported this morning, if you're trying to get a read on the economy, there's nothing better than talking to them getting the power data. So it took my breath away when I heard CEO Nick Aiken's calm man say, the biggest economic headwind we have at this point is the impact of the trade war on the businesses in AAP's service territory, end quote. He continues, quote, the increasing number of tariffs on goods beyond steel and aluminum have impacted export manufacturers in our service territory. Certainly, the trade wars have weakened the world economy and caused a strength in the U.S. dollar, which adds even more of a hurdle, end quote. I'm going to ask about this change when he comes on the show later. I mean, but you need to know it. It caused a dramatic 4.6% decline for the companies in his area that are non-gas related. That's stunning. I mean, these are, these are companies. What was it, percent decline in power use? Hey, do you know that the steel's down 1% in power use? Uh, uh, that's what the tariff's supposed to protect. I sure hope that Jay Powell, our Fed chair, recognizes that what he needs to do is what I'm doing. He needs to check in with outfits like AEP, the largest tra- transmitter in the country. If he talks to them, he'll understand that the tariffs are really decking part of the country. Again, I, you know I've been supportive of the trade war with China. It is time. This is still the best moment to crack down on their deeply unfair practices. And I knew there would be some short-term pain. But holy cow, it's turned to a real doozy of industrial downturn that needs Fed help. Now, while the consumer is still in good shape for the moment, you've got to wonder how long that can last if the industrial economy is experiencing such a severe slowdown. Of course, it takes two to have a trade war. And having listened to most of the conference calls for big industrial companies, I think China is getting hit much harder than we are. 
The conventional media will not cover this story. I want you to look at 3M. This morning when the company reported, the headlines looked good. The stock popped in pre-market trading. It's up eight points at one point. Once the conference call was digested, though, it shed all those gains and then some. Why? I think because 3M seems to be experiencing an appalling slowdown in China, which had been their savior for so many years. I'm used to hearing that Venezuela's been a big drag on the Maybe Argentina, Brazil, Turkey. I never thought that China would be the source of such weakness. Yet it's almost become axiomatic. It's a given. Listen to what 3M CFO Nicholas Gangstead had to say. He, he pretty matter-of-factly told us, quote, for the year we now expect organic growth in China to be down low to mid-single digits versus a prior expectation of flat as we continue to experience challenging end market conditions, particularly in electronics and automotive in- industries, end quote. Low to mid-single di- China. China. That was the savior of American industry. Electronics and automotive? Wait, isn't that what all our companies moved there to sell? Hey, it wasn't just coffee, right? It wasn't just Kentucky Fried Chicken. This feels bizarre to hear that Brazil, Canada, and Mexico were all much better than China. Brazil, Mexico, who knew? Here's the thing about this slowdown. If it pressures the Chinese government to make a deal, that's great for our companies. But if China just digs in and takes the pain, it's a real problem for the rest of the world. Their pain is not our gain. We see this across the board. Yesterday, Caterpillar disappointed, even as management maintained their full-year projections, which allowed the stock to bounce back today. One reason I thought Cat could have a relief rally, though, though, is that China's now become less than 10% of their book of business. That's a godsend. Can you imagine a machinery company? Then there's the alchemical. All right, I used to recommend the stock in part because of its exposure to China's fast-growing economy, the need for plastics in China. And while they had some decent items in the PRC that they sold, polyester, Sold to you, pal. CEO Jim Fitterling made it clear that the Chinese economy is, and I quote, having some big pressure right now, end quote. Fortunately, Dow's U.S. business actually offset the Chinese weakness, allowing them to make the numbers, but the stock got pummeled anyway because it's not so great forecast. In short, the China's in terrible shape. How terrible? Okay, get this. Later tonight, I didn't set the show up like this, but it sure seems like I did. We're going to talk to Align Technology. That's the maker of Invisalign braces. Its stock plummeted 74 bucks, 27%. Now, U.S. business is cool, but the real source? Real source of weakness? Tougher consumer environment in China. It fell off a cliff. You're going to hear Joe Hogan tell you that China fell off a cliff, and they're not even getting their teeth straightened for heaven's sake. Another guest, Richard Fain, CEO of Royal Caribbean. He's going to tell us a similar story about the faltering Chinese consumer when it comes to cruise lines. I wonder how long the Chinese can ignore it. Of course, it's not just the trade war that's got me worried. I mean, look, this, for years, aerospace has been one of the greatest secular growth themes in our manufacturing. But we just heard from Boeing, and if the delay from the 737 MAX problem continues, they may need to stop production. That used to be the number one plane. Boeing makes up a huge chunk of American manufacturing capacity, or I should say remaining capacity. If they have to halt production, that could shave half a percent off our gross domestic product. That's a tailwind turning into a headwind, and there's nothing the president or the Fed can do to stop it. Tesla got hammered today, down 13% on weaker sales. The conference call was otherworldly. Given the demand story that Elon Musk traced out and the $5 billion war chest he's sitting on, you would have thought the stock should have been up 36 bucks, not down 36 But I have to wonder how much of Musk's confidence comes from potential sell sales in China. I don't know if you can still count on all right, Tesla's not a Ford. It's still a car, though. And the Chinese numbers we got from Ford this morning were atrocious. These days, you can't count on the People's Republic to buy anything except perhaps coffee where Starbucks grew some same-store sales an astounding 6%. Well, that's a good sense of priorities, Chinese. Uh, here's the irony. You know what was the star of the whole day, and I'm including after hours? No. No. This is like being a favor. I do this as a favor. Like he's looking at his thing. I, I, I ask him questions. He's like, Does it? so, David. It's Alphabet. 
Alphabet, which is soaring in after-hours trading because of a gigantic earnings beat. You know what the greatest part of Alphabet is? They are not in China. For how many years do we have to hear that not being in China hurt them? This time it's a charm. Now, we know their pockets of strength in the economy. Retail spending, big box spending continues unabated. Although Amazon, after a big run of better than expected quarters, took a breather tonight because of a heavy spending cycle that I told you was going to kick in when we did our game plan. And while the most recent mortgage application data shows a decline, low single digits, housing is still pretty good. But the industrial economy is so weak that J-PAL now has plenty of ammo to justify cutting interest rates. And if the president rolls out new tariffs on Chinese imports and that $300 billion, if oil goes down then one rate cut will not be enough. Here's the bottom line, people. As I've been saying since this earnings season began, we have two economies in this country. We have the manufacturing economy and the consumer economy. For the moment, they are very out of step with each other. The former doing badly, the latter doing well. This industrial weakness is a serious problem. It will not go away unless the Fed steps on the accelerator and does so soon, if only to offset the weakness being exported here, of course, along with their air pollution from China. Jeffrey in Washington. Jeffrey! Booyah, from Seattle, Jim, home of JWN. That's right, I forgot, yeah, they got to get, that thing lives on the 52-week lowest, I got to get them a new address, what's up? Oh, it's fair, I mean, internet sales, they're open in New York at the end of the year, and the dividend's over 5% right now, do I need to buy this thing and hold on to it? Look, my chapel trust owns Kohl's, and uh, that is... The house of pain. And you are talking about a complete housing complex of pain, I'm going to say stay away from Nordstrom, that is... Look, it's, the days of Nordstrom's greatness may be waning. Maybe you get a little pop up to 36, but that's not what we're about. No. All right. Now we're going to go to Kevin in California. Kevin. Hi, Jim. I'm Bonnie. My son, Kevin, has a question for you. Sure. sure. Hello, Jim. Booyah. Thank Booyah. you for taking my call. Of course, Kevin. We're big, we're big fans of you and your show. Thank I'm you. I'm 10 years old, and I'm from Burbank, California. I'm looking for another stock for my portfolio for for college. So what do you think of Dunkin' Donuts after its deal with um, Beyond Meat? I think Dunkin' Donuts is doing quite well. I happen to like that new CEO very much. He tells a pretty good story. The Beyond Meat deal is just a little bit... Uh, I had the sausage, and I tell you, it is killer. I really, really like it. Not enough to move the needle, but for a 10-year-old who's got a long time frame, long time horizon, I think Dunkin' Donuts will do just fine. Beyond Meat, a little too hot for me, but I understand the ethos, and I bet you one day Kevin is going to say, you know what, give me a burger... A Beyond Meat burger. They were serving Beyond Meat hot dogs in front of the exchange today. I took a pass. Let's go to Amy in Michigan. Amy. Kramer. Yes, Amy. Booyah. 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 Thank you so much for helping women to invest. Yes. I am two, yes. I am two months new to the market, and about 10 days ago, I picked up Snap. It was a tip from the younger generation, my uh, ex millennial boyfriend. I like the concept. I like the chart. And it filled two of my criteria. Management. I was impressed that Evan Spiegel walked away from a $3 billion offer from Facebook. And innovation. I only want to be involved with highly innovative companies. So my question for you is, should I hold it? Will the run continue? What do you think of the stock? Amy, I completely agree with you on absolutely everything you said. It was innovation. It was an innovation arama on that conference call. It was terrific. I'm going to go see Evan Spiegel. Now, of course, he hasn't invited me, so it's probably going to be like me being a stalker. And I've had those, so I know how to do it. Uh, but that was a great quarter. You are absolutely right. I, I was kind of blown away that the stock didn't go right to 20, as it should and as it will. You are doing real good work. How about our callers? How smart are they? They make me feel such an idiot, like when a line technology comes up. Uh, my line... Visit line. I should have known. Do you think I need it? 
Abe Leibowitz's work is finally not working. See that? All right. It's a tale of two economies. It's the consumer economy and the manufacturing economy, and it's the Dickens economy. And now they are divided. Will they stand? We know what happens to the house divided, right? Oh, man, money tonight. Royal Caribbean reported a puzzling quarter for the second consecutive in a row. What's up with that? I got the CEO. And yikes, the maker of Invisalign that I just mentioned plunged nearly 30% of their earnings. I got the top brass. We got to find out what the heck's going on there. And don't bolt just yet. I've got the CEO of AEP up more than 20% for the year. What is going on? Stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day, clearly and concisely, in context and with perspective, and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. The battle for vacation dollars is as intense as the summer sun. When the whole world is a possible destination, can this cruise company bring enough passengers aboard to keep their stocks sailing? What the heck's going on with these cruise line stocks? Earlier today, we got a, what I call a puzzling quarter from Royal Caribbean, second largest player in the space. And it's the second puzzle in a row. The last time the cut reported, the results came in substantially better than expected, but management cut their full-year earnings forecast. Then this morning, for the second consecutive quarter, Royal Caribbean did the same thing. They posted a nine-cent earnings beat off a $2.45 basis, was slightly higher than expected sales, up 20% year-over-year. Net yields, what they're making off of each past year, came in higher than expected. It was a strong quarter. Yet once again, management cut their full-year earnings forecast, bringing the midpoint of the range down from 975 to 960. This is despite the fact that Royal Caribbean's book position up for the remainder of 2019 continues to set new records. So what gives? Why is management being so cautious, especially given the stock's more than 15% gain for the year? Let's go straight to the source with Richard Fain, the chairman and CEO of Royal Caribbean, get a better read on the quarter and this confusing guidance. Mr. Fain, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Nice to see you. Thank you for having me back. Of course. Now, Richard, I was a little confused. I mean, business is I think pretty fabulous. You are doing everything. We'll talk about Cuba in a second. But there you go. You start talking about the R word. You talk about recession. Of course, you say you can adapt. But I thought that you were more downbeat than your business this time. And I'm trying to figure out whether I should be more cautious about about Royal Caribbean. Um, You know, uh, we have trouble understanding it, too, because our business is just doing fantastic. Our brands are knocking it out of the park. Uh, We raised our guidance. We raised our actuals. Um, I think somebody needs to take a cruise. Well, I think you're right. I think they ought to go. They ought to go to um, the Galapagos, which I thought is unbelievable. They want to have a perfect day. Give us. These are two brilliant ideas. I want people to know what you're doing because it's very inventive. Well, um, you know, um, innovation is part of our DNA, and I'm really proud of our people who keep innovating. And the result is. We, every year for the last 10 years, we've raised our guest satisfaction. We keep raising our yield expectations. We keep producing better earnings. 
I'm not sure what the street did today, but uh, I think the company's going to keep doing the right thing, and it'll pay off. Well, I know that you uh, were joking even in your commentary about how there's a ball-bearing manufacturer who's talking about experiential, but my wife went on the (laughs) Galapagos cruise. It's her favorite cruise ever. She happens to like cruises. This, to me, is the kind of thing that Gen X, millennials, parents, grandparents must be taking together because my wife said this Galapagos is the most exciting cruise in the world. Uh, it really is. I mean, um, you know, we actually got there originally. My daughter lived in the Galapagos for a couple oh. of years. It's such an amazing place. It, tr- it changes everybody's lives. But it's just one of the many kinds of itineraries we offer. And people are loving it. Well, let me ask you about the oddest one. Uh, I, I know many people took a cruise to Cuba. And everyone told me, you better do it now because something's going to happen. I never thought it was going to be something going to happen, meaning I thought it was going to be open to everybody. But well, <laughs> did you just wake up one day and learn, like, June 5, that June 6, you couldn't go? Well, um, technically, yes. Uh, in point of fact, the administration had telegraphed that they were considering it. We thought that if they did something, they would do it with some lead time. And unfortunately, they didn't. They just said on June 5 that you can't go there on June 6. And, of course, we had to abide by that. So that was a big hit. But it was a bump in the road of, uh, i got to tell you, a really wonderful road. Now, you did, you made good for everybody. It sounds like that people just were willing to go to other places. It wasn't like anybody seemed very angry at Royal Caribbean. No, um, we took proper care of our guests. I think that's very important to us. The reason that we're doing so well is because we keep wowing our guests. We keep uh, exceeding their expectations. And when something does go wrong, we do our best to mitigate that. And here we did the same thing. We've repositioned the ships. We've moved people to different itineraries. We compensated them when they had to make some changes in their schedule. And so, yeah, the reaction from our guests was actually in terms of what we did was very positive still disappointing to them and to us but at least we did it the best we could well you've also uh, i think been at the forefront of the of ecology and environment and i want everyone to know that you uh, use you have uh, new ships or lng talk about what you're doing single use plastic zero emission fuels these are obviously important to millennials important to gen x and important to you Well, and they're important to our people, and that's why I think we've been so successful at it. And by the way, the whole industry is working hard to do a better job on the environment. I'm very proud of what the industry is doing. I'm very proud of what our people are doing. So adding LNGs to the ship, the elimination of single-use plastics is a real real challenge, but it's, it's one that we've undertaken and that we're well on the way of. But it's also... It's not just on the ships. It's sustainable food sourcing, sustainable tourism. We really, you know, this is an important time in our world's history. We're faced with really a challenge of of epic proportions with climate change. And I'm really glad to see so many people taking so many actions to try and move this in the right way. Well, you go contrary to a lot of wisdom. You're doing that, and I think that's terrific. Good example, you say China. The respect of the seas, people would say normally you shouldn't be there right now with this, but you are not afraid. <laughs> You're a pretty bold guy. How is that working? Well, it's, you know, it turns out it's working beautifully. Remember, as you well know, we're a very long-term business, or it's a highly capital-intensive business. We need to always think three or four years out. And right now, the, the Chinese economy is suffering. 
But starting really four or five years ago, we really ramped up our efforts to get the message out better, to get the distribution system to understand better how to sell our product. And the result is that even though the China economy is obviously faltering, we're not. We're having a record year there. It's, it's much better than last year. It continues to improve. We brought up more capacity. We're filling the extra capacity, and we're filling all of it at better pricing. Um, that's a, it feels pretty good to me. All right. Now, Rich, I know uh, it, it's a new show uh, and it's an economic show, but I do have to point out, I know in light of the recent tragic events and, uh, on one of your ships where a, a toddler fell from a, a, oh. a, a, a terrible thing, toddler died on Terror. one of your ships, uh, changes in protocol, what are you trying to do? How do you make sure that doesn't happen again? So, um, um, I mean, that is just so heartbreaking. It's just an amazing event. Um, but I think that um, we take this very seriously. We have amazing protocols in place. We have a very strong process for doing it. And I think we have acted properly and we will continue to do so. Uh, in terms of what happened there, actually, uh, we are working with the prosecutors in, uh, in uh, San Juan and um, they will be completing their investigation, we hope, fairly soon. So, in other words, they're looking into uh, on behalf of the parents or just because you have to, that's what they must do in a suspicious death situation? I, I think uh, the authorities, quite rightly, are investigating everything and uh, our job is to support them, but uh, not to comment. Excellent. I understand exactly what you have to do. And I want to thank you for coming to the show. That's Richard Fain, chairman and CEO of Royal Caribbean. Excellent quarter, sir. Don't understand the stock. It's a buy. Stick with Craver. Sometimes it can feel like an individual stock has just helped get you. Nearly six months ago, I told you to stay away from Align Technology. Yes, I make of Invisalign, incredible see-through braces. As much as I love the product, I was worried about newfound competition. I thought the stock was too risky. Then I watched with horror as Alpha, as Align shares, they call fire, rallying from the mid-240s to a peak of 334 a couple months ago. That was when I made my second mistake. I gave up on my sell call. I told you I'd been wrong. I apologized. Wow. Jinx, snake bit. But maybe we were just early. When Align reported its latest results last night, the company delivered a seemingly strong quarter, a big earnings beat paired with a more modest revenue beat. However, management's guidance for the next quarter was far lower than expected, and their full-year commentary was even more discouraging. They'd previously predicted 20 to 30 percent revenue growth this year. Now they're saying it could come in as the low end of that target. Because this is a high-flying stock, one of the best performers from when the S&P went from 2000 to 3000 it got obliterated, down $74, 27% today. So what do we do with a line here? Is this a broken stock that could bounce back, or is it a broken company? Let's check in with Joe Hogan. He's the president and CEO of Align Technologies. Learn more about the quarter and why he's now guiding for a slowdown in the second half. Mr. Hogan, welcome back to Bad Money. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. All right, Joe, when I see a stock at clock like this and I have an executive one, I give you the floor to tell us why the stock might be wrong, because I think it is. I think to you. Yeah, Jim, I broadly say this is about China. Remember, we had ter- if you look at the quarter, we had terrific growth. We had overall international growth uh, in Europe of about 39 percent in APAC about 34% overall, but China's our second biggest country in the world. We were expecting about 70% growth out of China, and we achieved about 20 to 30%. And that was broadly the uh, miss from an aligner standpoint in a quarter. And it's not a competitive issue, Jim. It's not an operational issue at all. Uh, it's just basically a consumer backlash right now, we feel, from a standpoint of 
making decisions on going ahead with aligners or not. So it was broadly a China miss. I'm still optimistic about the market in general and, and what's in front of us from a growth standpoint. Well, let me follow through on that. Uh, Estee Lauder's got a gigantic Chinese business. Obviously, they that involves looking good, okay? A line involves looking good. Yes. Their Chinese numbers were extraordinarily strong. So is there, I know you dismissed the competition, but there is an outfit, a competitive outfit in China, uh, Angel Line. Are, are they taking share? You know, I talk, I was just over in Asia last week, so I was with my sales team there, Jim. We don't feel that there's any share shift changes between Angel and us. It continues to be, you know, good competition, but no movement either way from overall share. Well, we feel we're at the higher end of the marketplace, the higher end consumer mm-hmm. side. Uh, in, in the specific uh, areas of China is where we felt this. Okay, now you did say in the call you kind of showed some leg that July might be a little bit better. I was wondering whether that's U.S. and China or just U.S. No, it's actually U.S. and China, Jim. So as we've rolled into July, we've seen stronger orders out of China. We've also seen stronger orders out of North America, too. Uh, you know, Jim, we're broadly going into teen season. So it's teen season in China and teen season, you know, also in North America. And uh, that demographic's a little different. We think it's less price selective uh, because these kids are slated or teens are slated to have these treatments and, and the parents want to meet that time frame. All right, well, let's talk about price selective. We went on to uh, the web and take, took a look at uh, Smile Direct Club, a competitor that you guys know better than anybody. And they had some pretty low pricing, $1,895 uh, or $85 a month. And when I read this, I start thinking, geez, maybe these direct-to-the-consumer direct uh, competitors have tipped at a tipping point where they are now uh, much more powerful than they used to be. You know, Jim, that's a different part of the marketplace, and it's a different model altogether. Remember, we're only 10% penetrated in a broader orthodontic market, which is broadly teens or whatever. We have a huge amount of growth there. Smile Direct Club competes in the low end. You know, they have a viable product line or whatever, but it's not. A, it's an area where we have product and we can compete through our doctor channel. So, you know, overall, Jim, I feel like, you know, I feel like we have a good position, you know, versus them in our doctor model in treating patients rather than going direct. All right. How about these dental service organizations? I mean, the bears on your stock have told me that between, say, uh, Danahurst, uh, uh, Shine, uh, 3M, uh, that they all come in and they get these dental service organizations to compete against. They bargain and then you get hurt. But on the call, you don't think that they're a bad influence on your pricing. No, we don't. You know, what we do is we don't we don't sell what I call comprehensive products to uh, to to our to our DSO partners. And uh, we work really closely with them on certain product lines that fit in that area. And, and honestly, those dental service organizations, I call them force multipliers for us. We have a unique product line and a unique package. It's hard to duplicate in that sense. And the hygienist chairs are where you see a lot of these patients and where we want to be able to use our visualization technology and Itero scanners that were up 80% in a quarter to be able to show patients you know, how their teeth look you know, after, uh, after the orthodontic procedure. Okay, so Joe, I've listened to every single one of the things you say, and now I come back and I say this. All right, you've got uh, $765 million of cash and cash equivalents, marketable securities. You've got 183 is overseas, but there's 582 million that's right here. You bought back only 161,000 shares in the last quarter. Why not take 280, take half of it? And just go into the open market and buy, one, knowing what July is doing, and two, knowing that the Chinese can't possibly stay away from this for too long, given the fact that they are fascinated by a lot. 
Well, Jim, you know, we, we are positioned well right now. We have $400 million left on what we're allocated right now from a stock buy, uh, buyback standpoint. We'll certainly take advantage of that. So you will be in. How about you personally, Joe? I mean, you're an, you're an aggressive guy, but you love your product. I know you do. Is this the opportunity that, that someone like a Joe Hogan says, I know this is an overreaction. I'm in. Yeah, I think you'll see that also, Jim. I do. Because, you know, Jim, think, I just want to emphasize a few things. Look at this business overall. We grew 39% in Europe, you know, 50% in France, 50% in Spain, 35 in the UK. Japan, we grew, we grew 50%. Taiwan, 70 uh, you know, Brazil, we're, double, we're over 100%. I mean, there's a broad-based growth story here that I have to do a better job and the company has to do a better job of getting out. It's not necessarily a competitive story. It's an opportunity story for us overall. And it remains something that the dentists uh, know they need in order to be able to make a good living, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, the, the idea that a dentist aren't straightening teeth in some manner is, is kind of difficult to believe. But dentists and orthodontists can survive together by orthodontists doing the difficult patients and, and dentists doing the, the less severe cases. It's just, it's the way, it, I think it works really well, Jim. Well, I'm so glad you came on the show. You don't shy away from anything. There'll be other executives who say, you know what? This is a bad day to come out. You know it's a good day to come out. I want to thank Joe Hogan, President and CEO of Align Technology. Sir, great to see you. Thanks, Jim. You too. I like a guy who says he's buying stock or hints about it, but certainly buying back stock and uh, maybe buying stock himself in the open market. Maybe this one comes back. I was wrong last time. I'm jinxed. you got to make the decision. Bad Money's back into the break. year, the utilities have been putting up some tremendous performance. Even though this is the ultimate slow and steady cohort, their stocks have caught fire because they pay big fat dividends at a time when bond yields have plummeted. If you're looking for income, it doesn't get much better than utilities right now. And I got to tell you, given the tenure, you're looking for income. But we've arrived at a weird place. On the one hand, this is exactly the kind of group to own if you're worried about an economic slowdown. On the other hand, when the Fed starts cutting rates... It's going to breathe new life into the economy, and that may cause a rotation away from the slow and steady utilities and into the cyclicals that we talked about at the top of the show. Which brings me to American Electric Power, the Midwestern utility that owns the largest power distribution network in America, along with a bunch of power generation assets. This morning, AP reported mixed quarter, with weaker-than-expected revenue coupled with a nice $0.03 cent earnings beat off of a $0.97 cent basis. While the stock pulled back about a half a percent today, it's still an incredible year. Get this. This is a utility, plain vanilla, up 19% for 2019. And it remains my favorite one because of its diversified book of business. So can AP maintain its mojo? Let's dig deeper with Nick Akins. He's the chairman and CEO of American Electric Power. Learn more about the quarter and where his company is headed. Mr. Akins, welcome back to Man Money. Great to be with you, Jim. All right, Nick, I got to tell you, this was the quarter that I think really did uh, personify America right now. It seems like the consumer is really doing well. But when I look and drill down to your industrial sales growth, it does look like the things are happening underneath that are quite weak. Well, I think there's no doubt that the tariff wars that are going on are starting to have an impact from an industrial standpoint. And when you look at our service territory, it does have an impact. But there again, that's not the only catalyst for growth for AEP, so uh, we have to consider that as well. Well, I mean, if we put oil and gas back in, we said we get a different mm-hmm. picture. Uh, I know that Caterpillar was very worried yesterday on their call about whether oil and gas spend is going to continue to go up. You talk about pipeline spend. You talk about a pretty much an aggressive part of the economy. Is it strong enough to offset what's going on with the tariff-related businesses? Oh, I think it is. Uh, There's no question. You know, we did report for this quarter lower 
lower load uh, as a result for the quarter, but we also said the second half of the year we expect further expansion uh, in the industry, particularly with new facilities and expansions uh, that make up for a majority of that loss during the rest of the year. So, And we know of those expansions coming online. So that work continues. Oil prices remain reasonable, and certainly natural gas infrastructure uh, continues to get built. So uh, those are true uh, positives for our service territory. I think that uh, our our viewers who are not familiar with how much electric use there is from a big factory or a big, say, plastics plant, need to hear from you. When they when American industry builds a gigantic uh, natural gas liquids. Uh, you know, well, they call them trains, but a gigantic export facility that uses a lot more energy than, say, 10,000 homes, right? No, absolutely. There's no question it does. And, and actually, you see what's going on in the Gulf area, uh, particularly as it relates to Texas on the Gulf Coast where we serve. Uh, we had yesterday a, a large uh, metals manufacturer announce an, an expansion and a new facility just near Corpus Christi. So you're seeing those kinds of things being done uh, near the coast, coastal areas, but also you're seeing growth uh, in Texas and Oklahoma from a substantial standpoint with these new facilities. So uh, they are consuming energy and, and, and we'll be there to serve them. I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, my power went out three times in the last two weeks. Uh, how much, how much, just because it was hot, because it was rainy, mine was not atypical. I only mentioned it because I, I followed on NewJersey.com. There's a great map that shows all the uh, outages. How often in American Electric Power, I mean, I don't think they spend enough, frankly. I think there's got to be something like that. You are talking in your uh, quarter, every single quarter, how much money you spend just to maintain your network. How much, what, how much uh, turn light on, it goes on, do we have an AEP? Absolutely. You know, the industry, uh, and certainly AEP is no exception, we're in, the, we're in the massive effort to rehabilitate and refurbish the grid, uh, particularly to take care of times like uh, the, just last week with uh, high uh, load during uh, high temperature periods and cold temperature periods. We have to make sure the system is prepared for that. And certainly as we look at contingencies on the system where we can have outages, we have to be able to respond and respond quickly. So uh, that is an effort, and actually that's one of the catalysts, the major catalysts for growth in the utility industry. If you want resiliency, reliability, and certainly from a cyber and physical standpoint, those kinds of investments have to be made. And that's what is going on around the country at this point in time. But AEP obviously benefits from that because we have the largest system in the U.S. Now, one of the things that you also said, and I thought this was the best line I've seen. I didn't put any music quotes in this, this one that I could see. Maybe you snuck some in. But you said, we are also moving forward with the clean energy investments that our customers have told us they expect from their energy provider. They expect. How do you hear it? How do you know it? And what does it mean for your budget? We certainly do deliberative polling of our customers. We ob- obviously hear from investors as well, uh, not only the ESG community, but, but uh, certainly in terms of investors looking for de-risking the company going forward. So as you look toward the future, moving to a clean energy economy is a smart move for any regulated utility, particularly as it relates to uh, cleaning up the environment and, and, of course, the emissions. So that's an opportunity for us to continue to invest, and that's why you're seeing uh, the investments being made, particularly in renewables, 
where we filed additional uh, uh, notices for the building of new capacity in several areas, and we also have, have uh, acquired uh, wind, wind-powered resources and solar resources from around the country. Well, let's deal with that. You say you, last week for regulatory approval, you filed to acquire and own 1,485 megawatts of new wind energy, which you said will provide significant savings, Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Texas. Was there a time, Nick, when that would actually be a huge burden and be very expensive? And has the prices come down because of the American technology? Yeah, there's no question prices are coming down. And also because there is a, a moderation, and that's why I talk about optimization a lot in our business, uh, we don't need as much capacity, but if you can put uh, capital investment to work to reduce energy prices for consumers, they wind up being a positive across the board. So it winds up being a win-win for not only our customers, but our shareholders as well. And renewables obviously provides that benefit. Well, look, as always, you've been giving your shareholders a fantastic return. That's why we've been sticking with you for years and years now, Nick. I want to thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Great to see you, sir. Absolutely. Great to see you, Jim. Okay, that's Nick Akins, Chairman, President, and CEO of American Electric Power. I know, look, I try to make it exciting because I want you to be interested because I want you to own the darn stock. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time! It's time for the lightning round. Of course, one of the new stations. And then the lightning round's over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, time for the lightning round. Chris, I'm with Chrissy California. Chris! Hello, Mr. Kramer. How are you? I am Love good, your Chris. show. I uh, need your advice on my yeah. stock. Is Zura still a good company moving forward? Should I buy more here? No, no, I want yeah, you to hold for hold. now. It's in the penalty box. Is- why? Why is it in the penalty box? Because they missed the quarter so badly last time that I just think that you have to wait a full quarter to see if they can get it together. The subscription economy is good, but their business is not. Let's go to Betsy in California. Betsy! Hey, Jimmy. Um, second time caller. Very long time listener. Thank you so much for everything you taught me how to do. Quite welcome. Um, I have a stock that actually sort of proves what you've been saying about autos. Except it doesn't. My stock, Jim, is a 17.2% grower with an 11.19 PE, and it's up over 75% this year. It's Lithia, L-A-D. Okay, you know, it's funny because, you know, my daughter lives in near Medford, and this is located in Medford, Oregon, and we have marveled. As we've, as we've done business with them, how great they're doing. You're right. It's a total outlier. They are a fantastic company, fantastic people. The stock goes higher. Let's go to Nick in Connecticut. Nick. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm good, Nick. How about you? Good, thank you. I called you about four months ago about EPAM systems, and you had to do some more homework. And um, I had a small position, and after listening to you and doing homework, I bought more, and I'm very happy about all of that. Excellent. Still hold it. Excellent. But the reason why I called tonight is another company I don't think I've heard mentioned either. Uh, I believe you pronounce it Alterex, A-Y-X. We had him on in the spring. I have to tell you, I'm glad you called. I was hanging out with Carter last weekend. Yeah, Carter. And we were talking about how amazing this company is. It has wiped out Excel. I want to learn how to Alterex. It's badass software. You've got a great one. That stock's not done going higher. It reminds me of Kramer Family Fade. Octa! Let's go to Lamont, please, in Tennessee. Lamont. 
Jim. It is your number one fan in Nashville. Loving everything you're doing. You are the big JC, and that's not Jesus Christ this time, but you're still the big guy. And uh, I need you to come down to Nashville so I can show you around. You can stay at my Airbnb. We can get some Princess Hot Chicken, and I'll take you to Blake Shelton or Jason Aldean's place, and we'll just go over my retirement I'll see plan. you later, Jim. I'm heading right to Nashville right now. <laughs> I got Brian Jordan there from the first to ride. You guys mind? Should I finish the show? You want to finish the show before I go to the Okay, I'll finish the Let's show go. first. But the hey. Titans, I like the Titans too. Remember the Titans. Remember Coach Booth. What's up? Remember them. All right. Hey, my wife, uh, Sharon, and I are putting uh, a 5G play to our retirement plan. And uh, we kind of want to know a little bit more about Marvel technology to Marvel go along with our Marvel technology, which is the chairman of it, is, is, is Rick Hill, late of Lamb. You remember he sold novellas to Lamb? And I've got to tell you, that is the number one 5G play on Earth, better than Xilinx. I want you to buy it. My channel trust and FellowAxionLogeplus.com has been buying it, and I wish we were bigger. Scott in Florida. Scott. Hey, good evening, Mr. Kramer. How, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. Hey, love your passion, your enthusiasm, and your dedication, man. Got one question for you, though. What's going on with Crystal Biotech? Am I first for my position? Uh, you know, honestly, I have to admit that I do not know Crystal Biotech. I mean, I could, like, opine on Crystal Burger more than I can find on Crystal Biotech. I got to do some work on that. Hate to end on that negative note, but what can I do? I got to do some work. And that, Legend of Putin of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TG Ameritrade. In a wildly inconsistent earnings season, there's one big bright spot. I'm giving it a name right now. I'm calling it BTF, better than feared. When companies report numbers that are even slightly better than most analysts were afraid of, their stocks jump like mad. Exhibit A, this morning, Bristol Myers, it delivered a BTF quarter. The stock had been under a lot of pressure. Uh, Wall Street worried that the still pending acquisition of Celgy might be a bust. Company's key cancer drug up Devo keeps losing share to Merck's key Truda. But today, Bristol's numbers came in better than feared. Optiva's not as bad as the analysts expected. It's still growing. And Eloquist, their huge blood thinner, is taking share all over the world. Those sales were off the charts. And that's why that stock roared 5% today. This was all about B T. F. To put it another way, I don't know a soul other than myself who believed that Bristol Myers would even meet the estimates, let alone beat them and raise its forecast. Yet, that's exactly what they did today. This evening, we got a fabulous BTF from Alphabet, parent of Google, which, after multiple shortfalls, just crushed it. The cloud and YouTube chronic underperformers totally shined. Massive BTF. Well, uh, glad I got that one for the game plan. And I thank you to all the nice tweeters who say thank you so much for Alphabet. Now, yesterday we saw the same BTF thing happen from Texas Instruments. On Tuesday night it reported, and as far as the street was concerned, there was no way this shipmaker could possibly beat the numbers because it's so heavily uh, levered to the industrial economy, the bad part of the economy. But Texan, as we call it, delivered a BTF quarter, and the stock rallied eight points yesterday. This again is all BTF. Sometimes it's a fine line. When 3M reported this morning, it looked BTF on the surface, and the stock jumped eight bucks in pre-market trading. But once the conference call got going, it became clear that the fears were justified, and the stock came right back down. You can never judge a BTF by its cover or the headlines. 
because the headlines never tell the whole story. Perhaps the best BTF quarter so far came from, of all places, Goldman Sachs. The prior quarter was disappointing. Actually, the last, like, 10 were disappointing, frankly. Uh, and Wall Street was worried about a slowdown in trading combined with them. That's hyperbole. They've had a bunch of good ones. But really, Wall Street's been worried about a slowdown with these guys. The earnings have become too episodic. Good followed by not so good, followed by terrible, followed by okay. And that's why it was one of the cheapest of the big banks on a price-to-earnings basis, even as the stock had run up substantially over the previous six weeks. However, when Goldman reported this time, the numbers were Better than feared, thanks to a much more stable earnings stream recurring. So even though it wasn't as good as the JP Morgan Bank of America in terms of profitability, while the stock has caught fire, it's not done. The flip side of BTF, U-T-E, uglier than expected. Frankly, there haven't been many of these this earnings season because if Wall Street already expected horrible results, there's not necessarily a lot of gradation. Uh, I was expecting an ugly quarter from Dow Chemical. It was UTE, so the stock got dinged today, down 3%. Not an important category. Now, uglier than expected is not the same as plain old disappointment. A disappointment is what happens when Wall Street is looking for a consistently good number, and instead you get a bad number. For example, Line Technology, the maker of Invisalign we heard from earlier in the show, that company had been doing well, but today it reported an imperfect quarter, downbeat commentary about the second half. Given that the stock was priced for perfection, it got annihilated, losing 27% of its value in one day. That's a big disappointment. I am not so sure how fast CEO Joe Hogan can turn things around, although I was encouraged about the buyback. Same thing went with PayPal. We come to expect consistency here, consistently great results. Then the company cut the sales forecast. Brutal, and that's why it got clobbered 5%. This is not UTE. This is just D, as in disappointing. With the economy slowing, with the industrials doing poor, you need to add BTF and UTE to your lexicon if you want to understand why stocks behave the way they do in this environment. Yes, we're full of fear, so you've got to judge the action relative to that fear. Otherwise, it makes no sense, and I can tell you what will happen. It's going to drive you nuts. Stick with Craig. My travel trust is holding Alphabet for ages. I always felt if they could get it together, if they could do great in the cloud, and do great in YouTube, then what you would see is an explosion of earnings. It hadn't been able to do it, but this quarter it did, and you are seeing an explosion of the stock because of that combination. The cloud business doing quite well. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.